Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on this show talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. This time I'll be talking to William Patino about his photography career and what gets him going. William grew up in the coastal town of Wollongong, New South Wales in Australia and has been a full-time landscape photographer since 2014. He now resides in the mountainside town of Tianau in the South Island of New Zealand. Photography came into William's life around 2011 and it has helped him see the world differently, giving him a newfound appreciation for nature and the many intricacies that many overlook and perhaps take for granted. William's work is based around a deep reverence and awe of nature and the creator and it's this that he tries to express through his images. His love for dramatic light and atmosphere is a constant inspiration, and he enjoys the endless pursuit of these elusive moments of the freedom that is found within. Most at home in his adopted backyard of fjordland and its mountainous landscapes, William truly enjoys rugged coastal scenes and being amidst the infinite greens of the rainforests. Exploration and weather plays a huge role in his photography, and he draws inspiration from exploring the unknown and those fleeting, spontaneous moments in nature. We discuss his methods of teaching in his workshops and online courses, the importance of being a business person first and foremost when it comes to setting up a photography business, and his sense of Hi, wonder William, at the world the around us. I hope you enjoy the G'day, show. Mate. You're going really well. Thanks for having me. Oh, that's uh, fantastic to have you on board. Uh, you know, definitely been a, a fan of your work for a little while and uh, very pleased that you've uh, agreed to come on. So, uh, My pleasure. Thanks. No worries. Uh, why don't you start with how you got started in photography what, um, and landscape photography in particular? Mate, I, um, I land, photography in general goes back to about 2011. I went to Europe with my wife and we just thought, oh, we better get a decent camera for the trip. So we ended up buying like a Canon DSLR twin lens kit combo, one of those, you know, little packages, which I'm sure people have seen before. That was before. one of my first packages too, yeah. Yeah, it was a 550D. Um, so I grabbed that and on that trip, uh, I was actually, I had depression at the time and was in a pretty rough place. And on that trip, it was, it really helped a lot. And using the camera, I was, I was pretty drawn to it straight away. Um, but when the holiday finished, I kind of didn't touch the camera again. And then to cut a long story short, I happened to download Instagram around that same time period uh, when I just searched photography in the app store. And I'd never heard of Instagram. Hardly anyone had back then, 2011. And uh, when I downloaded that and just had a look at some photos, I was seeing a lot of, a lot of landscape images and uh, I thought, man, that looks cool. That looks like fun. And I just thought, oh, I've got that camera in the cupboard. Maybe I should just have a play with that again and see if yep. I could do this. And I was using the iPhone initially, just taking iPhone photos for a week or two. And then, yeah, I decided to try my hand at using that other camera again. And I yeah, just instantly fell in love with it, mate. And it was something that... You know, to this day, I'm so thankful for the way it's made me view the world and it's just changed my entire outlook on everything. So I use the camera as a tool for, you know, just expressing myself and um, getting out there and curiosity, being led by curiosity and searching all the coastlines where I used to live in uh, Wollongong. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it just went from there, mate. And it was just like a perfect recipe because you had someone who, you know, I just gave everything to photography. I, the first sunrise I watched, I was hooked straight away. And because I was in a, a bit of a rough place in life, just, you know, from that mental health perspective and the, the camera and just being outdoors and pursuing those moments was something that, you know, started to bring me back to life again. And yeah, I just latched onto it with everything. And I was literally out there every day of the week. Um, no joke. Every almost every sunrise, every sunset, I just I just threw my everything into it. And it's been like that for you know, 10, 11 years now, <laughs> more or less. Um, yeah. Yeah, a lot a lot of people I talk to talk about that sort of it, it's their happy place or their relaxation place or you know, their their Zen moment or whatever you want to call it. But um I guess, you know, what what is it do you think it is that sort of drives that mental health improvement mm. that you know comes from uh, you know getting out and about and and being outdoors? Is it just being outdoors and being out in in nature, or is it something a bit more than that? I'd yeah, I'd say there's a few factors. Number like you just said, I think a big one is going back to nature and getting away from man-made things. I know you've got a camera in hand, but just quality time outdoors, which is something that civilization as a whole is doing less and less um, as we now live in cities and suburbia and rely on technology. So I think going back to something that's embedded in us, um, whether you think of that from an evolutionary perspective or a create creation perspective, but, um, but then also the other part is, and I've thought about this answer quite a few times is, you know, when you're, absorbed doing a task um particularly something creative you get into what's called a flow state and there's Mm -hmm. been studies done on what's called the flow state and it's literally where a a part of your brain disengages and during that time it's very similar to meditation you're no longer you can't think about anything else uh, and whatever that could be whether it's personal issues at home global affairs whatever you're just completely absorbed in that moment and photography allows you to get into that flow state, so just like many other creative outlets do. So I feel like, yeah, with photography, when you, you know, when you finish doing what you're doing, and you might get back to the car or get home, and you feel like, oh wow, like you've come out of that flow state now, and it is just like coming out of some kind of meditative state of mind. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people might be experiencing as well. It's just that opportunity to disengage and just be zoned in on something so simple um but that allows the brain to finally just have a little bit of rest and yeah i think that there's huge benefits in that and there is studies done mental health studies on you know getting in that state of flow and you can do it cooking playing music whatever it is yeah it's all these creative outlets so yeah there's huge benefits in it that's why i'm a huge advocate for just being creative in general but yeah particularly photography because i know what it's done in my life and other people's and i just think it's so great yeah, totally, and yeah, you know, I'm I'm certainly uh, an advocate. The same, it's uh, it, it certainly helped my uh, mental health a, a hell of a lot in uh, in the yeah. past few years. And yeah, you know, I'd I'd recommend it to anyone, you know, or or any as you say, any other creative pursuit that uh, allows you to disengage. I think that's a it's a really important thing to get into. Yeah, so- what what's cool about photography or landscape photography is that going out in nature in itself just to go for a hike or a walk that Mm. is in itself a great thing but then photography adds another level there where it could help you 
you know, some people, they might find it hard to go for a walk, but if you've got the camera there, it just gives you that another reason to yeah, get out. Reason. Um, yeah. And then you're looking at things in a smaller detail as well and taking your time a lot more. Um, photographers, we tend to do that and then we enjoy the finest of details and we learn to see those details and yeah, the benefits that come from seeing the world in that way are just, you know, unimaginable. It just goes on and on and on. And that's what I love is that, you know, even now the sun is slowly starting to set here. So I just, I observe all those, the highlights on the clouds changing, the shadows getting longer on the mountains, all those different things. Whereas before photography, I just would never have even taken a second glimpse okay. of that. <laughs> well, I think uh, another thing, and th this has come up a couple of times on the podcast where people have said, you know, they, they start to feel a little bit more attuned with what's going on around them. Um, and not just at a micro level, minute to minute or, you know, day to day, but also seasonally, you know. So over, you know, pe people know when astro season is, you know, the, the astro photographers mm. are all out, out there, you know, at three in the morning because they know the Milky Way core is going to rise at that time over that particular mountain or whatever, yeah, you know. Exactly. So, you know, it, it sort of gets you that in, in tune with what's going on around you. Yeah. In terms of a full-time career, how did you make the decision to take it beyond just a hobby and uh, take make a career out of it? Because you know, yeah. a lot of people have it as that mental release and as that you know that that escape from day-to-day -day work is turning it into a job. You know, uh, mm. something that everyone, uh, not everyone, maybe should do, but you know, everyone should at least have a look at. No, I'd say definitely not everyone should look at it because it's just not cut out for everyone and it can definitely take away from the joy. Uh, so for me, I never picked a camera up to make, to turn it into a career or anything. I didn't consider even trying to make a single dollar from photography. I picked it up just out of curiosity and then it turned into just a love and a passion. And I started to, as the years rolled on, um, just as you do getting requests for, do you have, do you sell prints? Um, do you teach? Do you run workshops? Uh, started to get even opportunities to travel with like tourism boards yep. in Australia um, back in the day. Uh, so I was, I was organically getting these things come up without me going out to pursue them. And initially I was turning a some of the stuff down because like I said, it just wasn't really on my radar. Mm -hmm. So then eventually I got a website and sold a few prints and that was a, you know, that's, that was a huge honor. And then, uh, you know, I did a couple of travel gigs with tourism guys, but still again, didn't even consider doing it full time, not even part time. I was a tradesman at the time. So I was busy enough just working a 40 hour week being a tradie. I even sold an image to Apple and it was on every Mac in the world, one of these images as a wallpaper. And I had guys at work saying, oh man, you know, you're making the big time now. When are you going to do it full time? And a hundred percent with all my heart, I would just say, I'm not, nah, not really. I don't think it's really possible. I'm not really interested. I just, I know, I just didn't really feel the need to try and do it full time. And I think I, I did think it would be hard. I couldn't really see how it could probably work. And I probably had a fear of failure deep down in there as well. Mm -hmm. And there was that element of thinking, oh, you know, if I made it a job, then maybe I'd start to hate it and it wouldn't be that outlet anymore. So that there was that involved. But what happened was uh, my wife got pregnant with our first child, my son. And once he was born, 
you know, life gets busier when you've yeah. being a, got a full-time job, then you've got a wife at home, now you've got a baby, and then you've got this photography on the side, which I was able to give a lot of attention to, but I wanted to be a great father. So I knew, all right, well, photography is going to have to take a back seat for a little bit. And then around that same period where my son was like literally a month or two old, um, there was a few changes happening at work where I was probably going to have to travel a little bit more, um, driving up to two hours one way, like from Wollongong up to Sydney. And so there was just a few things kind of happening all at once. And then I just, it just kind of popped into my head for the first time, like maybe I should do photography full time. So I have more control over my family time and, you know, being able to use the camera, it didn't really sit right with me to just say, all right, this photography thing was fun, but now I just so slowly let it just burn, you know, just drift away. Um, I was already turning down opportunities to travel to other countries, even with some of these tourism gigs. Uh, but because I had the full-time job, I was turning them down. So it just started to not, I was like, man, I don't know if I want to let this go. What if I just try give it 12 months. And if it fails, then at least I had to go. I'd rather die trying than not trying at all. Uh, but it was only literally like, it just all suddenly seemed right to me all of a sudden. But the main premise I had was through education because I was starting to teach at that stage on the weekends with workshops. Yep. And it was that switch that went off in my head. Like I actually enjoy teaching and there could probably be a solid business model here not relying on print sales or, you know, doing a tourism shoot somewhere, but if I can teach full time and run longer workshops, but the only way I could run a longer workshop is to not have a full time job. So it was like, you either have to quit and give it a go or just forget about it. And yeah, yeah it was just like this natural crossroad where I hit and I thought, okay, I'll give it a go. And it was pretty scary, you know, a newborn baby leaving a full-time job. My wife quit her work to be a full-time mum. She was on maternity leave, but she had no intention of going back to work. So I had a lot on my shoulders. But like I said, I just it just didn't That's seem right really, to just uh, go, okay, I'll, I'll continue doing what was that, mate? I said it's really jumping out of the plane without the parachute, isn't it? <laughs> oh, more or less, yeah. But, you know, and I kind of realised I was pretty unhappy at work. I was just going through the yeah. motions and just trying to just get through the day by just doing the bare minimum. I didn't have a good work ethic because I wasn't happy where I was, to be honest. Um, yep. So I thought, yeah, give it a go. And, yeah, it's been eight, you know almost eight years now and no looking back and 100% no regrets whatsoever. And it's certainly – I work a lot harder now being running my own business and providing for the family off something as, you know, as landscape photography. It's pretty – it's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but just the drive I have to do this is just – so different to where I was and just even mentally just every aspect of my life I feel like has benefited benefited from you know just taking that leap of faith and I just feel like I'm a better man to be honest um, by doing it but it is tricky and it's sometimes I'll get people contacting me who they've barely picked up a camera and they say all right I want to make it a career what's the first steps and (laughs) something like landscape photography it's so different to commercial photography where you know, this is to me, this is an art. It's more of an art. You're trying to make money from art, which is never an easy thing to do. Um, it's it's just so different to other genres like real estate or something like that. So it's certainly not something I feel like you can just say, all right, I'm going to go and do this full time without having put in the hours and maybe organically getting to that point where you can make the decision, which is what happened to me. 
I feel like it'd be pretty hard to just start from scratch and say, all right, how do I make this a full-time paying career? So it's certainly not something that is for everyone or, you know, it's, it's a tricky one. And I think most people will know if they're in a position to potentially do what I did and make that leap of faith. Um, But getting to that point, my biggest advice would be to just put everything into your photography and do not even consider making money from it. Just like I did. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about any monetary side of photography. All I wanted to do was be a better photographer. And I just wanted to, experience new places and see things that I hadn't seen before and then do them justice. That was the only priority. And to this day, it's still the exact same thing. And Mm. I think when you do that, it'll eventually show through your work and then maybe from there opportunities could come up. So it's almost like, what's your motive? You know, what's your motive behind your work Uh and your photography? And if you get the balance wrong, then I think you might have a pretty short uh, time enjoying the, the whole process. Yeah, I, I, I certainly don't think you can just go into it thinking, oh, yeah, well, this will be easy to make money out of because... Uh, <laughs> Otherwise, we'd all be doing it, right? <laughs> well, that's it. You know, if it was easy, it wouldn't... Uh, it probably wouldn't pay as much either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if it pays that much either, mate. It's... <laughs> that's, what, that's what I mean. It'd be, it'd be even cheaper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so... Talk, talk to me a little bit about uh, the workshops um, and I, I guess the, the, the how and why. You, you said, mm. you know, the, the education side of it, you were running yeah. short workshops. How did you, how, how did you sort of latch on to that as a, 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 a career move, I guess? Um, I started getting people just through Instagram, you know, back in the day, just say, oh, you know, do you teach, do you run workshops? And initially it was just, oh, no, sorry. Didn't even know what a workshop was. And then... Uh, Eventually, somehow, I i wish I could remember, but yeah, I've somehow I built up the courage to say yes to someone and they came down from Sydney and we did a sunrise shoot and, you know, I just, I just taught them what I knew at the time, you know, how I was making my images and how I saw the world and everything and seeing this person's face light up when I just helped them in the simple, what seemed simple to me, but to them, it was probably six months of frustration or 12 months of trying to figure something out and within 10 minutes I showed them and yes it was so rewarding just seeing that look on their face and that elation and almost like a a weight off their shoulders like oh man I've been trying to figure that out and so that you know that really gave me the confidence so maybe I do have some knowledge here to share and keep in mind I'd probably only been shooting for a year and a half at this stage but the hours I built up were pretty astronomical like I said I, I just latched onto it and threw everything at it so from there I, st- I just started doing more private ones, you know, sunrise, a little bit of processing, that type of thing. And then I started doing some small groups uh, around like Cathedral Rocks and Bombo Quarry, doing like a sunset and astro type thing, group of six. And that was scary, you know, doing a first group. How do you manage a group of people and all safety hazards and all this stuff? But same thing, you know, everyone had a good time and it was really rewarding. So when it came to that crossroad where I thought maybe I could make a career out of it, I thought... You know, I do enjoy the teaching so much. It just feels natural to me. And it, I remember being younger, I wanted to be a teacher at one point um, before I, be, I wanted to be like a school okay. teacher or something. So it, it kind of was like it went full circle then. Um, so, yeah, the whole idea was built upon if I can just do some longer ones and do, you know, a dozen or less than a dozen per year, longer as in like a week long, that type of thing. Um maybe then there's a more sustainable business model than say hoping just to sell a print for example which is just 
if you're trying to put food on the table for family, it's just, you know, it's just too risky. Prince, Prince um, is going to be, yeah, risky strategy, I'd say. Yeah, exactly. Any, any type of sales thing, you know, unless you've got some solid strategies there. So I, that, when I quit, it was like, all right, maybe I can do a week in New Zealand because I find Australia, for how I like to photograph anyway, a little bit hard to like drag out a week-long trip. Um okay. Not, not in the manner that I like to teach and flow and just keep things kind of fast moving anyway. Not fast moving, but just provide enough, you know, scenery in different locations. So I thought if I could get to NZ and consider doing a week there and then I'll see what happens from then. So over the years, New Zealand, obviously I live in New Zealand now. I've lived here for five years, but yep. I'll come over to NZ and do maybe four trips per year, just week-long trips, groups of six. I always limit it to six people. Anything more than that, I just think is it doesn't, it's not fair to the clients. They're not getting enough learning time and there's not enough room on location. So I've always limited. I I think it's really hard to manage any more than six people. Yeah. And I did it once I did like seven and I just thought, nah, it's not, not really the right, you know, I like to make it pretty intimate and personal and more like friends, you know what I mean? Um, So yeah, six was always the max and yeah, just started off with NZ and then pretty quickly went to Iceland and started doing a, a couple of trips there per year. And you know, if you're going to summarise the, the most of my career, it's probably been majority New Zealand workshops. And then I've probably done about 12 in Iceland, half a dozen in Canada, Patagonia. But the last, the, the when I moved to New Zealand, the whole idea was I don't want to travel away from family anymore. Not that I was travelling a lot. It would only be, you know, once a year I'd go to Iceland and you'd just be gone for two to three weeks. But, you know, that feels like an eternity when you're on the other side of the world. So. Mm. Absolutely. Now that I live here in NZ, I'm able to more or less, and I've had no choice with COVID, with borders shutting, but um, I've kind of made my business now just 100% New Zealand based. And that's just doing my groups of six, maybe do half a dozen of them per year as a rough guess, you know, maybe a bit more. And then um, just personal private workshops. And then with the whole COVID thing, I've moved a lot of my like teaching and education onto the online world. So just doing a lot of tutorials and online um, mentoring and everything like that so yeah it's it's something that's changed you know every year it's almost changed i'm just grateful that leading up to COVID, i already decided that i didn't really want to go to iceland anymore or patagonia or anything like that so i was already shifting towards just being put in nz and yep. then like i said with the borders closing off it was pretty much forced to be that way anyway so now you have a forward, don't have a choice but moving forward any international travel i do i'd rather just take the family with me and just do it as a holiday or maybe do the odd private trip or with a friend and do like just something for my own photography just for portfolio or something like that but yeah i've always enjoyed the teaching and just i just find it like i said pretty organic and rewarding and just sharing special places and those memorable moments with people i've you know some of my fondest moments have been on workshops and i've got lifelong memories and friends from the workshops i've been running over the years and some people have had three or four trips and yeah it just feels like family after a while and yeah it's a pretty i'm pretty thankful to be able to do what i do but i've, I've missed it because i haven't ran a group workshop for two years because yeah, wow. with the borders shut and most of my clients are from outside the country so um yeah i've, I've truly missed it because there's a lot of good camaraderie on these trips you know you get a bunch of photographers together and everyone's just telling stories and life experiences and yeah, no, it's pretty awesome. Um, I'm really thankful to be able to do what I do. So what, what were the challenges you found in you know during the pandemic in shifting to online? I mean, you know, obviously yeah. you can't go on location, so 
you you're kind of limited to to what you can do so what yeah. other than that what what were the main challenges so the main big one was i had normally a workshop with me will book out sometimes 12 months in advance six to 12 months in advance you know and um people will either just leave a deposit or a payment and they can pay it off in installments so when 2020 kicked off most of the year was booked people had left deposits people had either maybe paid the whole trip because some of the trips were coming up pretty quickly the same week the borders shut basically um so when everything shut down and we didn't know how long it was going to be shut for. I potentially had, you know, just throw a number out there, but 50 to 60 paying customers on my books who were like, all right, let's just wait and see. So it just became a game of, all right, let's push all the dates back several months. And then the borders are still shut. Let's push it back again. In the meantime, I have no income coming in because I'm not running these trips and I'm not invoicing for any future trips because they, you know, you, there's too much uncertainty. Okay. Um, and my wife, she stays at home and looks after the kids and runs a household and everything. So I, there was a, obviously immense pressure there to figure this out. And then at the same time, and understandably, I'm having people that are booked in saying, oh, I'll just have my money back now. Thanks. And, you know, things like that. So suddenly you're in a situation where the income stopped, you've taken money from people and can't deliver their product, what they're expecting, but that money potentially came in six months ago and, Normally, there would be a flow of fresh money coming in for the workshops that are coming up, just like how an airline would run, for example. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, mate, I had to uh, figure something out quick. And thankfully, I had some like video tutorials made, which, you know, by this point, they're probably six to 12 months old. And I'd already kind of pushed those as much as I could from a sales perspective. Uh, so, I thankfully to be honest i had like a someone reach out to me who worked in marketing um someone from the states and they just happened to see my tutorials and just somehow i came across on their radar and yeah so i, I partnered with these people and they have given me like a pretty good help with the marketing side of things and that has honestly kept us afloat for the last two years and thankfully where i live um which is no coincidence it's very scenic so i've been able to still get out there create new photographs, which I've always done just for me, just shooting all the time for me. And then at the same time, be able to keep creating just new new courses, new tutorials, showing different things. And that's kind of kept me busy enough because I have to shoot them myself. Then I have to edit all the video. So I had a career that was, you know, let's say 90% out in the field and 10% digital. And then now it's 90% digital and maybe, you know, 10% out in the field if I'm lucky. So I've had to kind of flip everything, you know, with a pretty short notice. And it, it, the, to be honest, the hardest part was just, um, and it still is, it's just the weight on my shoulders of having a lot of people that are still waiting to come over here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, some of them might've paid two years ago now and they've been very supportive and they've got a credit. So they're just, you know, we've just had to keep moving dates along. But it's just not nice, mate, just not being able to give no, people, absolutely. you know, their trip and everything. So that's been the most challenging part. And I'm not the only one in this position. Like every industry, one way or another, has had to do similar things. And I had holiday booked with our family for the Cook Islands. And, yeah, we just got told it's a credit. And if you don't use it by this date, you lose it all. And, yeah, so it's hard. And then just dealing with so many different people from different parts of the world who are also going through their own individual struggles and they're, saying well you know they can't come now and yeah it's just been incredibly stressful and even as of today i've still had a bit of a stressful day just dealing with said scenarios so um 
yeah, it's been hard, mate. But look, I'm still here and I'm still somehow being a full-time landscape photographer. So I definitely can't complain. Um, yeah, I'm pretty grateful. And now when I'm making a, a tutorial, for example, when I talk to a camera, I'm it's like I'm just talking to people because I'm almost envisioning the people that are going to be viewing this later on. And one benefit of video tutorials is that anyone in the world can watch them, whether they're in somewhere in Bangladesh or China or in the States, they may have never been able to come to New Zealand and learn from me one-on-one in the flesh or have a week-long trip, but now they're able to learn from home and apply the teaching. So it's been pretty rewarding. I don't get to see the look on people's faces now when they have that aha moment, but yeah, just to get words of support and feedback and messages from people who are, you know, just leaving kind words about some of the things they've learned. So yeah, it's still been pretty rewarding in that regard, but I definitely prefer not talking to a camera as much and just being out there with people hands-on. I definitely miss it. And now we've got borders opening as of next month and people can start to enter the country again and they don't have to isolate or anything. So hopefully this year we start to uh, run some of these workshops again and just get the ball rolling, mate. Yeah. Yeah, no, fantastic. Well, hopefully uh, business will uh, pick back up again and uh, you'll be back where you were uh, a couple of years ago. Hopefully. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's just been a tricky one for everybody, and just an yeah. ongoing, evolving scenario. So, just trying to—I'm someone that always tries to, you know, look at it from the other person's perspective as well. So, I'm pretty sympathetic yeah, with people, but it, it's just really hard in just get you know so many variables involved. So, it's, it hasn't been easy. That's a, that's for sure. But thankfully, yeah, most people they get it. They understand this is a husband and wife business here. I'm not a multinational corporation. That's just that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh mate. So we in in terms of uh travel and locations, what you know, obviously um you know you you you've got to be thinking about where where to go next. Where where next? For workshops, or you mean personally? Oh personally or workshops. Yeah, um workshops are, I kind of stick to a you need like permits here in New Zealand to run a workshop. You need them in most places, actually, uh, whether people realise it or not. Uh, so yeah. when I run a workshop here or to even get permission to run workshops, you need to put an application in saying where you will be, what time of year, how many people, how many hours, all this type of thing. So when it comes to my workshops, I've got like a good, you know, two dozen type of locations that yeah. I will float between Um and I, I keep all my workshops, the itinerary is flexible. I don't book anything in advance. The landscape photography is all about pursuing the weather and the light. And you've know, yeah. you got to be at the right place at the right time. So, yeah, on a given workshop, the order could be reversed or all over the place in which order we see things. But I still have like basically like key regions that I concentrate on um, yeah. for all my NZ stuff. So that's kind of pretty straightforward. And, yeah, any other travel and shooting Look, I'm just so content here. There's so much wilderness here and areas that have not even rarely ever been seen by a single human, to be honest, let alone a, another photographer or anything. So I'm, if I have spare time, I'm just getting out here as much as I can. I'll just come down from a mountain today. I did a 30K hike last week. So sometimes, you know, they could, you could be putting a few hours in just getting out there. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. I'll do aerials, but there's just so much here still. If you said, all right, well, here's a month and a bit of budget, where would you go in the world? I'd probably stay here in NZ because it's just where my heart is and yeah. where there's just so many things that I still want to see and do here. I think uh, potentially in 2024, I'll be up in Alaska and um, 
okay. British Columbia with a mate doing some pretty remote wilderness stuff up there. But otherwise, yeah, there's not too much on the horizon. I'm really drawn to just things that I haven't seen too much before. Yeah. Uh, I don't really want to go and just replicate something that I've seen another photographer do. It just doesn't really drive me that much. Um, so I'm more driven by just the unknown, the unseen. And that's even when I first picked the camera up, you know, was the coastlines that I was walking along, it was just like, oh, I wonder what's around the corner here. And I'll just keep walking and then find some rock shelves or sea stacks or things. And I just hadn't seen the photos of them before or just I didn't even know they were there. So it was it's the whole package for me, really. It's that's that excitement and that curiosity. It all factors into it. If I don't have that excitement and that that sense of, you know, curiosity, then I just don't feel compelled to really take the photo as much. Um, so, yeah, a big part of what I do is just still just getting out there and just I want to be surprised by nature. That's where I feel the most inspired. Um, and there's nothing wrong with photographing things that have been shot before. Don't get me wrong. I still do that myself. But I find the, the most inspiration I get is when I'm just out in nature and something catches me off guard or I'm just going into an area where everything's fresh. So it, it's almost like it doesn't matter where I point the camera, I'm feeling inspired to try and work with the subject matter that I've got in front of me. Um, certainly not easy, of course. Sometimes it takes a lot of planning or you need the right conditions or it's just hard work to get to some of the spots but yeah that really excites me just that that it's like a question of yeah but what if what if this happens at this spot and the light does this and the snow does that and yeah i get pretty excited about that so yeah for now mate new zealand is um more than happy to be locked up here <laughs> as long as people can still get in get in i'm happy but i don't care if the borders are shut and i can't get out that doesn't bother me it's, i just need people to be able to get in that's the main <laughs> thing <laughs> uh, fair enough so what uh, in in talking about the planning you know tell, tell me a little bit about uh what it takes to put a workshop together you know particularly you know one of your longer ones a, a week or so yeah, look, it's, you know, something obviously when you first start doing those, it's nerve wracking and you're, you know, you're barely sleeping at night because you're trying to make everything, you don't want any hiccups and you're trying to pre-plan everything to perfection. You know, now for me, it's, um, you know, like I said, there's things in place beforehand, which people would never even realise, like I said, getting um, permits or concessions, they're called having yep. uh, safety plans in place, all that type of thing. But when for the workshop itself, it's just knowing where to get people at what time of day and making sure that people are going home with a memory card full of photos that they're absolutely stoked on and having a good yeah. variety of different images as well. So really, you know, I adapt everything to the weather. So if there's rainy weather, I'm making sure that we're getting in rainforests and waterfalls and everything, um, even some mountains and rivers and whatnot. And then, of course, clearer skies is going to bring us into areas where we can see the tops of the bigger mountains and things like that. Um, I always try and make sure that we're getting some processing in during the week as well. But again, I just don't I don't lock anything in place because you could be missing out on a magical moment. Um, so I always make sure that we do a couple of processing sessions. I'll do like a group one where I'll show everyone my general workflow and then the next ones will just be more private, customised, going around, helping everybody one-on-one -on -one with their own individual photos. Mm. You know, the main things really is, as much as it's a photography trip, you really, it's almost like you're a parent to six other adults. Everyone has to be well-fed, well-rested, and entertained and getting value for their money at the end of the day. So for me, it's just monitoring all those things, engaging 
you know, are they ready to push on a bit more or maybe, maybe that's enough for now. And yeah. And that just comes from experience now uh, as the years have rolled on, there's not really any nerves with me. A lot of it's almost intuition to be honest. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just all those little things that I think people just wouldn't even consider. It's not as simple as we're going to go here at this time, there at that time. No, no, it's more like, all right, what, what if this, what if there's a double rainbow or you can see it coming, where are you going to get people? You've got 20 minutes, where are you going to go? And then, yeah, maybe there's the aurora happening because you're in Iceland, and you, but you got to factor in what time do we have to start tomorrow. So it's just all those little – it's just logistics, you know, at the end of the day, but just making sure, yeah, the, it's a fine line between highly successful but then maybe people just getting a bit too burnt out because you've just, you know, just driven take, them too far. location too many, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So for me, it's – I've done so many here now that I know it. It's just like the back of my hand and I kind of yeah. know – where we're going to flow. I know the distances, the times, and even on location, it's just figuring out how long is too long, how long is not enough, and then, all right, where are we trying to get to? What time should we really pack up? So, yeah, they're things that just kind of come with time, I guess, at the end of the day. But, yeah, I'm really just wanting people when they go home to just be like, wow, like that, my photography's improved so much and I've got all these images here that I'm stoked on and they've just got that that knowledge to do it again next time they go out with the camera. Um, you know, a seven day workshop, six nights, seven days, but by the second day, people, even if they're a complete beginner, two days in, they're already like 200% better than they were on the first day. And then so by the end of the week, everyone's like, I'm, they're getting shots that I'm like, wow, I would, I would have that in my portfolio. And that's kind of the goal, really. <laughs> that's what it's all about, I guess. Um, so I enjoy the challenge some of my favorite photography is just spontaneous and I like that element of stress. When I do aerials, I think that's what I enjoy about aerials is that you really have to think on the spot and react very quickly to what's happening. And with the workshops, it's a little bit like that sometimes where you just want to make sure that you're not missing an opportunity because it does happen every now and then something will occur and you just miss it, you know, like a rainbow or the killer sunset and you're not quite at the right spot, whatever it is. I enjoy the challenge of making sure that I'm going to get these people somewhere awesome right at the, the best time type thing. So uh, it's always good fun. And like I said, I've missed it. I've just missed that camaraderie and yeah, just that look on people's faces when it's all coming together. So it's, it's good fun. Yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about the art itself. You know, what, how would you, if someone was looking at, for your work, how, how would you describe your style? Um. I guess, you know, I always say to people, like, I don't try to take pretty photos. They're not, like, postcard pretty. I'd say it's more like evocative um, landscape photography. It's, I wouldn't even say dramatic or moody because it's not necessarily that, but it's something that evokes some kind of emotion. So maybe evocative landscape photography. I do enjoy photographing. I like to photograph scenes that move me personally. If I don't feel like moved, like, you know, you know, that feeling you get in your chest where you're just like awestruck, you know, in, in awe of what you're looking at, yeah. um, then I don't really take the photo. So I'm constantly pursuing those types of moments, those ones that are just like, oh man, this is, you know, your hands are almost shaking. That's what I'm trying to capture. And it just turns out that most of the time that's some kind of big scene, whether it's big mountains, waterfalls, storms, you know, big waves on the coast. There's some kind of element of power in there. Um, sure. You know, when I, I have a pretty spiritual connection um, just in general, but when I'm in the landscape in particular, so that 
you know, I try that, I guess that sometimes channels through the work. There's just a reverence for the creation there. And I'm trying to express that through the imagery. Um, I'm not trying to just, I don't want to take a postcard photo. I'm trying to take the best moment in a given location and, and put my, my thoughts and expressions into that image. Um, so yeah, I know that's a pretty long winded answer, I guess, but yeah, ultimately it's landscape photography, it's landscapes, but yeah, there's something I just, if I look at my work or like I said, or I'm in that moment, if I'm just not feeling it from a deep down in the chest type thing, then no one will ever see the photo or it, it won't be taken in the first place. So yeah, I like those moving moments that really kind of just strike you in the heart. That's that's what drives me. Yeah. So in in terms of that, uh, you know, thing that gets you going and get gets that feeling in the chest, what are what are the things that you're looking for in a location that are likely to sort of trigger that with you? The biggest factor is weather. It's just amazing how much the weather plays a role in my photography whether it's something as simple as, all right, we need the right light hitting this area of the, the location, or it could be um, I need the wind to be sweeping up the waterfall or the wind to be blasting the snow sideways. Um, it could be rain. You know, I like to photograph in the rain because it does some pretty amazing things here in Fiordland where I live. They're the things that initially like that that would be the biggest role i guess is weather that that's the biggest factor really so off I, every day i'm just looking at the weather and i'm looking at it not just for the current day but for the week ahead and then from there i start to build out you know i've just got a million ideas in my head but i wait for the kind of weather to start to align and then i'll be like oh maybe i should go here this week looks good for that thing or that thing uh, whatever it is. So yeah, the weather is the number one factor really. And then I'm trying to use that in the image somehow. A lot of my images have some kind of movement, whether it's movement with waves, uh, waterfalls, some kind of sense of wind in the frame, falling snow. I really enjoy movement, uh, like some kind of element, you know, like some kind of force or energy within the frame. Oh, uh, so I'm, I'm definitely factoring that in as much as possible. I can't even remember what your question was now, mate, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, okay. but that's what I'm looking for really is that, you know, the weather dictates so much, yeah, just yeah. the seasons in general. No, you, you, you pretty much nailed what I was asking for. <laughs> <laughs> as I, I got halfway through and I'm like, I can't quite remember, but anyway, I'll keep going. <laughs> in, in terms of looking for those, you know, sort of unshot locations, I mean, they're, mm. they're, obviously there are locations around, as you said, Alaska and you mm. know, uh, Canada and, uh, you know, southern, southwestern Tasmania and, you know, there are places around how do you think that um I, I guess or how how much uh do you think that is going to influence other people you know in seeing your images and other people's images to 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 make those same sort of efforts in in traveling to those sort of locations I'd say maybe, you know, realistically half a percent, not even of people that view my work might try and, you know, or be inspired to go out and experience proper wilderness for themselves and, you know, go to, I, I never geotag anything. There's just no point anyway. And plus, yeah. you know, even if I did, it's like, you can't drive a car there. It's just, um, you know, the wilderness and places that are popular now around the world, 
it all stemmed from some bloke or a female putting on a backpack and bush bashing and finding mm-hmm. these things. Yep. And uh, I was on a trail today, you know, and I'm like, I, I, I think when you're near a trail, you should definitely, you know, not blatantly start to blaze marks going off the trail because a trail gets a lot of traffic. And once you walk off the trail and it's evident that you have three footprints or something, then sure. it inspires others to do the same. You see that in Iceland, any hotspot, you know, you can just see where people have left the trail. And yeah. But at the end of the day, if we remove wilderness and the sense of exploration, then now nature is no longer an escape. It's just like being in a city where you can find to sidewalks and yeah, drive. Like you can in. just drive up and park next to it. It's not yeah. Really and if you get in trouble for going off and bush bashing, going in the wilderness, like that's what it's all about. It's that experience, and you got to do that hands on and and get out there. Um, so for me, yeah, like I said, the inspiration comes more natural when it is typically something I haven't really seen before. And if people, you know, say, wow, I want to go to that spot, then I, I welcome it because they're going to have an amazing experience if they can get there or if they know where it is, for example, and another person going to... The problems arise where you're getting thousands of people per day or per month or something like that, and I just can't see that happening when it's proper wilderness, there's no risk because it's it's just too hard. It's more the hot spots, like say Milford Sound, for example, where you just you drive right to the car park and it's right there, and they've got a boardwalk there, and you can go out on the foreshore, and that's all. That's great. Um, but when it when it involves now, and that's why it gets a lot of people. Like every say Iceland, every photo you see of Iceland is just parking the car, and it's basically right there. Yeah. Um, and that's that's oh, awesome. Oh, that's good. Um, that old uh, DC three that's in the middle of uh, a farmer's field that you got to walk. Near. Yeah, now you have to walk to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's like a forty minute walk on nice flat ground, nice and easy to get to. Um, <laughs> I can't blame. And yeah, that. surprisingly, people are, they're pretty happy to still put in the effort to get to that. But oh, yeah. once, obviously, if things get a little bit harder, it's just not for everyone. Maybe you don't have the fitness, you don't have the time. So yeah. that's why I feel like you know the places that are pretty hard to get to. Um, those that are willing to put in the effort or seek it out, then yeah, go for it. But the, I feel like there's pretty little risk in certain things blowing up if the effort's too high and get it. Yeah. It's more like if it's pretty close to a hotspot and then you've clearly made these, you know, innumerable tracks and it's only like a five minute walk, that's where something starts to become the next big thing. And then maybe the landscape gets trampled and ruined. Um, you know, I'm pretty big in leaving no trace and everything, but. It, when it's in the actual backcountry, like you have to actually climb up and use trees and shrubs and everything like that. But I think it's when we're in those highly populated tourist icons, that's where particularly you need to just think about your actions. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, if it's if it's easy if it's photographed a lot, it's easy to get to, um, yeah, yeah. and that's fine. That's just what it is. Yeah. What What do you think about the? Uh stuff uh, and have you seen evidence of it as well where you know people are sort of it, it is a hot spot it's been oversaturated on instagram and so forth and you know it's just flocking people there that may not necessarily have the same leave no trace ethic mm. um you know the, there's been many cases of that have you seen any evidence in in some of the locations you've been and you know um, I'm just interested in your your, your thoughts. Yeah, on uh, the influence that main, social media has had on yeah you know, that. Yeah, yeah, you see it in um, 
I don't know. Like, it's not. I haven't seen too much here where it's like there's been stuff left in the landscape. Like, let's say the Wanika tree, for example. Yeah. Like, I've been there in the past where there's been 45, 50 people, and they're just all there doing the same thing. They're just admiring the scenery. But then mm. when they walk away, it's typically all fine. Uh, I think in Iceland, yeah, some places you go to, and like there'll be a little chain that you can just step over, yep. and then everyone steps over it. So now you've got four footpaths instead of the one original footpath so that starts to damage the overall landscape and yeah look at the end of the day i guess my attitude towards that is if you're that desperate to create a fresh image don't go to the icon and think it's special by walking an extra five meters closer than everyone else that's not unique that's not art that's not creative that's just you putting in the most minimal effort to try and take something slightly different Mm. um so yeah and that's i get frustrated with that because go to these icons and enjoy them from the proper spot. And then if you have a desire to do something unique, then go somewhere unique, you know, doing it at these other places that just creates more problems. Um, so, and that's the world we live in now with social media, you know, it's not even actually photographers anymore. Like let's say like landscape photographers, it's just social media, people with iPhones, which is everyone, you know, with a smartphone, yeah. It just fuels itself. And then someone goes, oh, I want to get a better one or I want a selfie with no one behind me, so I'm going to step over the line. That's a mm. lot. Mainly that's who I see is creating the problems is just general uh, tourists, actually. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, look, at the end of the day, what can we do about that? It, something's got to change in our culture. It's a cultural thing. I don't really think it's like yeah. – it's not landscape photography, to be honest. I think it's just the culture of – it's a narcissistic culture. Everyone wants to have that shot on their social media and want to look perfect and, you know, whatever it is and prove that you went to these spots. And then, yeah, one person takes an extra step and then someone takes, and then people die. You know, there's places where, unfortunately, we know even in Australia, there's places that I photographed in Australia. Here's an example. The Helensburg train tunnel where there's that waterfall. I remember getting a shot there in 2013 um, and I went back several times to get the rain. I'd never seen it the way that I photographed it, but I thought, man, that'll come out pretty cool. And I, I got this image and, uh, you know, I got bombarded with where's this, where's this? And I didn't reply to anyone because I knew, you know, you tell someone where it is, it's just going to get out of hand. But sure enough, someone eventually finds it and then they want to tell people so they get props for it. Yeah. And then next thing, now there's a fence around the place. And the same thing happened with that, uh, sea cliff bridge i remember climbing up the cliff there to get a higher vantage point which i hadn't really seen done before yeah, yeah. and then unfortunately the shot went viral and then everyone says where's that where how do you get up there and i didn't answer anyone and then you know two three years later someone eventually dies and it's become you know this big thing and i guess i guess where i'm going with that is it's a dilemma then where it says okay should i have never done it in the first place um because i was never in the wrong doing that type of thing i just went by the curiosity thing you know i want to try get an angle of this i think that'd be cool and i did it and i didn't mention where it was but unfortunately that then inspired others so that kind of loops back to your original question and now what i do with my photography is they're just the shots are not in spots where people could go and do it anymore whereas yeah i guess in those areas it is still you know still in a highly populated region where yeah, in hindsight, like I just wouldn't shoot that stuff anyway now, but in hindsight, I guess if you do something like that where there's a lot of people around and other enthusiasts, then it's probably going to 
eventually lead to that type of scenario. Whereas the photography that I do now, I just feel like, nah, there's no, even if one person went out there, you might get one and that's it. And it's not going to cause any yeah. impact or any harm or anything. So it's a tricky one, but I just to tie it back in, I think the biggest issue is just the social media culture we have and people want to get the trophy shot. Yep. And like I said, it's not actually photographers. It's mainly just tourists. I've seen it happen time and time again here and Iceland where people will get out of the bus and they'll run up to the waterfall yep. and they'll run right to the front and then they'll turn around and take a selfie. And they actually haven't even looked at the landscape yet. Like they actually yeah. haven't stood yeah. there and gone, wow, wow look at this. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it frustrates me. And, oh, mate, it's just, it's, that's why a lot of where I take people now is not too many of those spots anymore because I don't like being around. Yeah. I don't like witnessing that. It's just sad to see. And, yeah, it's a tough one. And then, yeah, what's the role as the us as landscape photographers then? It's like the damage is almost being done by other people now. So it's tricky, mate. It's just a cultural thing and... It's been good to have the borders shut here for a couple of years to maybe ease up on some of that pressure. But I don't know moving forward what can be done about that stuff, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know as well. And I, I mean, I, I, I've sort of, I mean, I, I shoot around Sydney. So, you know, you go to uh, Taramata Beach or somewhere like that. Well, you know, it's not hard to find. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I've, I've noticed down there, there's a lot more traffic. Uh, than Taramata normally would have. You know, it's a, it's a small, mm. secluded sort of um, cliffside beach that it's it's not that it's hard to get to, but it's a, it's a little bit more effort yeah. than say Narrabeen, which is just around the corner, just just on the other headland. But there's well, I saw it happen. How I saw it happen at Cathedral went. Rocks, mate. When yeah. I, I remember yeah. going to Cathedral Rocks, and I would be happily surprised if there was another photographer there. It was like, wow, another you're a photographer too. Like it would shock me to see you'd spark up a conversation. And then, you know, the last few years that I was living over there, you just, you'd almost have to turn around because it was that busy that you're like, Oh, there's no point. I'm not going to be able to actually line up and get an image anywhere. And well, part, yeah, part of it for me is also just the enjoyment of the experience. You know, I, 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 I look at places uh, in America, you know, in the U S there's, there's, places now where you've actually got to get a ticket and you line up, you know, the, uh, Mo Moab the National Park, for example, you know, some yeah. of the Antelope Canyon and all those sorts of things, you know, you've got to get a ticket, you've got to line up and to be honest, and, you know, you're, you're basically on a time limit. Here's your time and you've got to get there and do, do your shot and then get out. And it's kind but of But you like can see why that's in place, like because oh, it is that busy. But then you say, well, who's at fault? And really no one's at fault. It's just, it just happens to be everyone wants to, you know, everyone got it. It's a tricky that. one. Like it's just, it's almost like a, a ethical type thing. It's like, well, what do you do? <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's a hard one, mate. Yeah. I Even don't, a cradle I mountain in Tassie, you've got to get that shuttle bus to the car park and yeah, and even here in Fjordland, they, they have toyed with the idea of doing a shuttle service to Milford Sound and not letting self-drive like camper vans go in there anymore. And, yeah, it's sad to see that happen. But then, like I said, it's like, well, everyone's just trying to do the same thing. They just want to see a beautiful place. Everyone's entitled to do that. No one's really in the wrong. It just happens to be it's it got to a level where it was started to be unsustainable and, yeah, things have to change. And yeah, maybe COVID's a good thing in that regard because it's probably given a big reset on some of that stuff. But 
yeah, yeah sometimes it's easy to point the finger but then when we review everything it's like well we're just all here for the same thing it just happens to be it's just popular now and i think that the advent is social media it's that's what's driven a lot of it and like i said the majority aren't even actual landscape photographers they're just there because it was on social media and they want to get that shot on their thing it's interesting yeah i don't think it's a a a soluble problem either you know no it's tricky uh easy to solve um i guess in in Looking about you, talking about your personal work, how do you go about planning and prepping for one of these unique locations that you know is is out of the way? You know, and I'm not yeah. talking Alaska, for example. Let's let's say yeah. one local for you in mm-hmm. uh, in New Zealand. Uh, so, an, uh, here's an example, right? There's a um, so one time I was doing an aerial and I, I noticed a valley, this big beautiful valley, as we're flying over it. And there was a specific mountain there that just really stood out to me. It looked quite characteristic and it wasn't a good for the area. It was just something that I went, wow, that looks like a good spot. So then from there, I use topographic map and also Google Earth. And I start to look at it from the perspective of, okay, well, where is it? How could I get there? And then once I figure that out, what time of year would be best? What are the conditions that I'd like to get in that place? So there's one that... I've been thinking about for a while, but it's to get to it, I'll need a boat to get across the lake and the lake's pretty big. So it would be like a 40 K boat ride. Um, And I've got a friend who's going to do, he's going to join me and he's got a little boat we can use. So we've got a boat across. And then from there, it's, it'll be about eight hours walk more or less off trail. Well, there is no trail, um, but you can use deer tracks. There's so many deer here that they kind of make pretty good tracks to at least help out a little bit. And then that'll get me in this general valley. So once I'm there, I I don't plan anything beyond that because then you're just limiting your creativity and your vision. Um, I like to just be spontaneous then and react to the moment. So that's about the extent of the planning. So really, you know, ultimately it's topographic maps and Google Earth at the biggest. That's more about how to get how to get there than, you know, oh, yeah. I, want to be, I want to be lined up here with, you know, that, yeah. that particular mountain at that particular angle. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's just, and there's some of the other stuff I have, it's like, oh, that's going to be a good shot up on that ridge line, looking down yeah. on this thing, but I need the fresh snow. I think that'll be a good winter shot or whatever. And look, some stuff is, yeah, you might do what I said, where we catch a boat and then we hike. Some stuff could be hiking only. Some could be driving, then hiking. Some could be utilising a helicopter to land nearby, but then still hiking after that, depending on where it can land. There's so many variables involved. Um, Look, I don't, shots like that, I don't do too many of because you're just building up a lot of effort for almost one to two potential photos. And I do enjoy doing that, but still a lot of the photography I do would just be a bit more spontaneous where it's just... It's just going out maybe down a big valley in general where I don't even have an actual specific mountain peak in mind. Maybe there's multiple mountain peaks and it's just like, I just want to go down there in the right conditions and then something will materialize. And it, it usually always does. you got to have that allow for nature to do its thing and just be surprised by it. And yeah, it, that just comes down to the time in that general area and trying to time it with good weather as well, the right weather for the photography that I enjoy. Um, So yeah, some stuff will be kind of lined right up to that final degree, uh, doing all those logistics. And other times it could just be, hey, let's just go do four nights over in the blah, blah, blah valley. And it's like, cool, let's go. And then once I get there, 
you could walk away with a big dramatic photo or maybe it was just the way the tree was reflected in the river because there was no wind and you're like wow that was the moment and i love that i love not knowing what i'm going to walk away with and i'm pretty blessed that i don't have to walk away with anything you know it's not like i'm getting commissioned to go and take these photos they're just purely for me and my enjoyment and my portfolio so i really have over the years removed that burden of you got to get something here to just being like, yeah, just go out there and enjoy it. Yep. It's something I say is um, it's a bit corny, but I say, you know, let nature do the talking and I just have to do the listening, you know? So I just got to sit there, observe and just see what's speaking to me essentially. And then the rest just comes natural. You know, it's just like I said, you got that flow state kicks in and suddenly you've created something that you could, you couldn't have planned, you know, some of my favorite shots, they're just, there's no way you could plan it. It was just being in that area, reacting pretty quickly in a certain moment and just seeing the composition and then one minute it was there and then it was gone. And yeah, to me, that's probably the most enjoyable photography. But yeah, every now and then I'll do one of those ones that's a bit more planning and it's like, all right, I'm going to go and get this specific mountain or this area and try and make something work. But that's not as, as often. But yeah, look, definitely... For what I like to do on the workshops, I cater to every fitness level. Um, yeah. it, it's all pretty nice, easy walks, um, nice, simple locations to get to. But yeah, as it turns out, the photography that I like to do, it's not always the case, but yeah, it does help just having a good level of fitness. So if I need to start scrambling up the the base of a mountain or, you know, I don't like climbing mountains, I like to stay below them, but just some of the bush bashing or just climbing over boulders or going up hills and things, um, yeah, it can can kind of wear on you after a while. It's just hard carrying the gear. That's the hard part of a photographer. Yeah. Is, luckily, I don't carry a tripod, but just by the time you chuck in the body and a lens or two, yeah, and then the sleeping bag and food and a tent, and it's like, oh, man, how did this get so heavy? And just when you're trying to clamber through forests and things, the fjordland terrain down here is, um, you know, it's almost as dense as it can get. It's, it's pretty thick and rugged. So once you really commit to going away from any trails it's uh you got to kind of have <laughs> have the patience to just push through and even just that navigational skills like i said looking for deer tracks and and things like that but i enjoy it you know i really love that side of things and that's where i feel most alive when you're really you're putting the blood sweat and tears into the images and it's not always the case but yeah, it's definitely a part of it that i've grown quite uh, fond of yeah so talk to me about not having a tripod because <laughs> yeah. most, most, I, um, most landscape photographers, that's that's uh, stock in trade. And, you know, if you want long expo, it's it's pretty hard to get yeah. that going without, without some kind of stability. Yeah, mate. Um, yeah, that's how I was. And I remember years ago in Australia driving half an hour, got to a location and realised I left the tripod at home and then got cranky and didn't even get out and try. Um, whereas now... The only time I use a tripod is for Astro and that's maybe what three times a year if the Aurora kicks off, but that's about it. What happened was um, moving to NZ and where I live and enjoying the elements, I I really wanted to get out and shoot in the rain. And I was, I was getting out because when it rains in some of these areas, you get waterfalls that aren't there without the rain. And uh, I think there was one day where it was hammering down, mate, like hundred mil plus on this given day. And there's just no way you can set a tripod up because I wanted to climb down into a river. So climb down rocks, set up in the river to get that as my foreground. And then in the background, I just had a wall, a mountain with innumerable waterfalls coming down. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, you know, going to jump out of the car to start walking down. And I was like, 
there's no way you can set a tripod up. By the time you mount the camera, it's just going to be 100% drenched. It's windy. So I just said, I'm going to have to handhold this. And this is going back to like 2017. Yeah, right. And uh, so sure enough, I did. I remember jumping in the creek and I just started shooting and I, I, and I wanted to streak the water to get that nice texture on the water. Yep. And I just started slowing the shutter down and shooting. And I went, holy moly, like these are sharp. These are 100% sharp from front to back. I've got in that range that I like on the water around one eighth of a second, yep. one sixth of a second, even one tenth, you know, just depending on the water flow and everything. Sure. And I was like, oh, that, that was, you know, that was good. And then it just went from there organically where I just started using the tripod less and less. And then one time when I did go to use the tripod again, I felt so restricted because once you're handheld, you can make an adjustment just as quickly as you can think of it. You know, you're doing it as you're thinking of tweaking the composition. Yeah, you can change the whole composition just by yeah. Up and down. from a flow state perspective, you're still in that flow because you just you're just doing it. You're not even thinking. The tripod was breaking my sense of flow and connection to the landscape, and I just went no, nah, no. Nah. And I remember like getting the tripod because it was in a forest. This particular one, I was trying to get a sun star lining this shot up and it was like the second you lined it up the sun moved and then the sun star wasn't there and i just went no nah, no way and i just haven't used one since like i said unless it's astro um and i've just figured out you know what my thresholds are with shutter speeds the thing is if you like doing astro yep you've got to have a tripod and if you'd like doing blue hour long exposures yes obviously you need a tripod but I love light you know the key element in every photo of mine is good quality light typically um so if there's light, then it's not that dark and I'm able to get sharp images that are low ISO, tack sharp from front to back. And even, you know, focus stacking handheld is not an issue. You just don't bounce around like a maniac and, you know, it's easy. You just do it. Um, so I've just developed my own little workflows. And these are the things that I put in my tutorials, for example, of just, you know, how I do it why I do it. Um, and yeah, for me, the whole point still is just that creative freedom that I get out there. I couldn't do it without a mirrorless camera. So the mirrorless cameras have like the inbuilt image stabilization. Yeah. So the body um, stabilization plus. Yeah, in body. Yeah, exactly. So that helps you big time. If I'm on a DSLR, then no way. I can't get down that yeah. to the speeds that I need to be at. Um, but I started shooting mirrorless in 2013. Um, and then it was around like 2014, 2015 when the, the stabilization came into the bodies. So, yeah. yeah, it's just been something that I've just been able to do ever since. And, yeah, no looking back, really. Um, and I'll show people on my workshops. And if they've got a mirrorless, they're like, wow. And it kind of frees them up. Some people, it's just not for them. And they like the methodic approach with the tripod. And then other people, they might have a DSLR. And it's like, look, we're probably getting a bit risky here. Why don't we just play it safe? Because the debate is, is it worth sometimes the effort that could be required in Photoshop? Let's say I require three seconds on the river. Maybe yeah. the river's moving really slow and I just need like two to three seconds. What yeah. I will do is I'll do a first shot at say one-tenth or even one-eighth. Now, everything's sharp, it's all good, but the river's not the right flow. So then without moving, I'll slow the shutter speed down. I'll do it at five seconds, three seconds, whatever I need. And then in Photoshop, it's very quickly within, say, two minutes just to line those two images up and blend in, you know, mask in that slow shutter water. Now the job's done. 
for some people, the effort to do that, it's probably easier to go back, get a tripod, set it up, take the shot. But for me, yeah. I, like I said, I'd rather just do a little bit more later on in the computer, which is still pretty minimal, than, yeah, get a tripod or set it up. And I just don't carry one. Like, it just stays here in my little studio and I use it for my tutorials. But that's about it. But, yeah, if the Aurora fires up or maybe I'll do a bit of Milky Way photography this year, I'm coming around to that idea. Um then yeah, I'll definitely get the tripod out. Uh, but I think for everyone, anyone listening, it's worth trying. I think I remember I just wouldn't even try. I'd assume that I needed it. And then it wasn't until I did try and I was like, oh, okay. It's like I had something in my head that said, oh, you need a tripod as a landscape photographer, but it's just not true. And I've, I've heard other people, not necessarily landscape photographers, but other professionals say you can't get sharp photos without a tripod. And I'm like, it's just not true, mate. Like some yeah. of the prints are like 60 inches and it's just tack sharp. Like every image I make, I zoom in on the screen and if it's not sharp, then I shoot it again. So um, yeah, it's definitely worth experimenting with anyway, that's for sure. And see yeah. if it if it suits for the individual. Oh, that's fantastic. Um What's your most notable experience that you've had while uh, out shooting? Oh, mate, there's just, I feel like every year you get like two to three that you just know you're never going to forget. Um, you know, as you ask that question, I just have little flashbacks of, you know, I've stood in sea caves, that Crescent Head sea cave, yep. and I've been inside that sea cave when a violent lightning storm was overhead. And I just sat there and continuously shot exposure after exposure, admittedly on a tripod actually back then because it was, and I had to for this lightning shot. Um, yeah. And knowing that the lightning is going to come, it's going to be right outside this cave. And then minutes before that happened, a rainbow formed on the horizon. And mm -hmm. I was like, wow, would you look at that? Like there's, you know, the storm must be clearing. because, And this big bow appeared. And then within that same one minute window, two forks of lightning just shot straight down the middle of the cave. And I got that all, you know, single shot, just back a camera, the rainbow, the lightning. And I remember just being physically shook. And I had a similar thing at Cathedral Rocks. Just I had the vision in mind of, you know, I want to get lightning at Cathedral Rocks. This is back in 2014. And I knew I'd get it one day. And then finally being there and you're doing it and you're looking at it on the back of the camera while the rain's hammering down and this violent, you know, vibrations from the storm. And you're looking at on the back of the camera, these lightning bolts directly behind, you know, that you, it transcends words almost. It's like, it's just an experience that you can't even describe because you, some things I've tried to achieve or it's like, you know, as a percentage, it's pretty slim chances of seeing it happen. And then when it does, I've even, Another one was, and this is not really about getting an image, was in 2020, we had a big storm come through here. Mm -hmm. And when there's a big storm in Fjordland, I love to get out and try to capture the way the waterfalls, you know, hit the mountains and everything. Yeah. And normally, like a, what you'd call a good storm in Fjordland would be 100 mil plus. Sometimes, you know, you get 200 mils in a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's quite a lot. And this one was looking like around the 300 mil range. And I was like, wow, this one's going to be a real, you know, this is going to be something different here. There's going to be waterfalls that appear that may not appear for another five, 10 years type thing. Um, and when I say waterfalls, I mean a specific waterfall in a row of another 90 waterfalls, you know what I mean? Like just taking it to that another level. So I went in on this day for this storm and I 
spent the night down in a valley where there was an old campground that had been there since the 1930s, mm-hmm. had all these historic cabins. It was a real rustic type place. And uh, that night, mate, the storm came in. And by the time we woke up at 7 a.m., the cabin I was in was already being flooded by the river. And to cut a long story short, instead of 300 mils, 1,000 mils came in within that one and a half day, two day window. And it absolutely obliterated the place. It just turned into anarchy. And I'd never seen such power. The river... If you put a four-wheel drive in it, it would have pushed it like a leaf, you know. It was horrifying. And I had to escape out of this valley and I ended up getting stranded somewhere. I ended up getting helicopter evacuated out. And to this day, they're still doing – that was 2020. They're still doing road repairs and, you know, the trees being lifted up and thrown across there. It was just – the power was unbelievable. So, Mm. you know, that's just another one that comes to mind as well. So there's just always these moments that, you know, whether there was a photograph involved or not, um, just seeing certain things happen. A lot of it as well is, you know, I've done aerials where I've lined up, waited for the full moonrise uh, to line up with something right on sunset. And the chances of doing that with aerials is so slim because the weather, clouds, wind, there's all these factors. And then, yeah, finally, like, witnessing it, um, you know, something that you think about for a year or two and then suddenly you're there looking at it. Yeah, it's just, mate, that's what I do it for. And, you know, some most of those photos, they're like, they don't even always resonate with other people, but they're the ones that mean that that's not what it's been about for me. It's just about yeah. being what I want to actually see with my eyes and then try and yeah translate through the camera. So, yeah, mate, there's been a lot of humbling moments and I guess that's what drives you when it all comes. Everyone's ex- Every photographer's probably ex- experienced that to some degree, whether it's something quite simple of oh i just want to get a nice pink sunset over your favorite beach and then you just start to raise the bar for yourself and yeah when those things do align and it's just all about passion and perseverance really at the end of the day and that's something that i think has kept me just so inspired with photography because i can always think of something bigger and better i'm never really 100 content with my images i can always look at it and think oh but what if this happened or this and that? And and then I think, well, it could, you know, it probably will. I just need to be there when it does happen. Um, exactly is, yeah. yeah. So that just keeps driving me to keep getting out there. And uh, yeah, mate, it just, it keeps you grounded when you're out there in nature and it, it does these things. It just really puts everything into perspective. And yeah, I'm thank that's what I'm most thankful for. That's what mm-hmm. photography's given me is it, it's kept me grounded and kept sight of the bigger picture. Yeah. Have you ever hit a creative wall? And if so, how did you handle it? Um, Yes. A lot of people ask that one because I know like a lot of clients, they maybe go through that. They won't touch the camera for months and months. And look, I've very rarely, I don't know why, very rarely have had that. The only time I had that in 10 years or more was, um, mate, it was probably a year or two ago. It was just... I don't know, it was, you know, with the pandemic and everything. And, yeah, it's just you know, it's a bit of a mental health factor as well. I just started kind of just wasn't feeling it anymore. And, yeah, it probably went. It probably only lasted like two to three weeks. And I, the other thing that was happening was, yeah, I remember this now actually, uh, you know, sometimes with my photography, when you've been doing it this long and you're trying to raise the bar and just trying to always better, you know, you just, you're not content. You just want to keep getting better and better. You know, eventually the opportunity of success, it just gets so narrow. And what happens with me anyway is that I just start talking myself out of even trying because Mm. you assume that it's not going to work, you know. So I'd be like, oh, 
you know, what should I try shoot this week? And then you'd check the weather and you, oh, nah, it's not going to be right for this thing or that thing. And I started getting to the point where the visions I had in my head for the images I wanted to make, they were just so specific that, you know, they're going to be hard to get. And therefore I just wasn't even trying and it went on for a few weeks. And, and then I eventually just pulled myself out and said, I need to just go for a few days in the wilderness with no photography ambitions in mind and just get out there because that's what it's all about at the end of the day. So I did that. And sure enough, you know, it was moment after moment that just jumped out at me. And it was these moments that, and I said this earlier, it's moments that you could never have planned. All you had to do was be there at the right time. Yeah. And you only see those if you're out there having a go. Absolutely. And, you know, like I'm talking about, you know, I walk past a waterfall in a forest and I just happened to be there as the sun was just cresting over the side of the waterfall and then the light was hitting the mist. So I had those beams, you know, those beams that you'd see someone put in Photoshop or something and just being there at the right time for that. And just a few little things like that happened. And it was just like, man, you know, if I if you don't get out and just enjoy nature first and foremost, then you're going to miss every opportunity, aren't you? Absolutely. Um, so that was kind of the only time I really got in a bit of a slump. And I use that as a good lesson for myself now, like just get out there, just go out, have a walk. And if you see something, you see something, but once you start kind of loading yourself up with high expectations, then yeah, you can slowly just lose the drive. And that's one hard thing with, it doesn't happen with me, but with social media, I know other people, they're on social media a lot and they're looking at they're looking at the best of the best. That's what social media is. You're looking at other professionals. You're yeah. looking at stuff that they might have waited 10 years to capture. And within a one-minute window, you're bombarding yourself with potentially, you know, 20 of those images, world-class, high-end, really difficult things. So, of course, when you put your phone down, you're probably going to feel a bit flat because it's like, well, how can you compare with that? And it's... Yeah. So, and people compare themselves too much and social media can get the better of people. So that's something years ago I, I could see, I could see that how that happens and I've never really used it too much from an inspiration perspective or anything because it can lead to burnout pretty easily. Um, I think the best thing you can do is just, just get out and enjoy the scenery that you enjoy with or without the camera and then I think the inspiration will tie back to you. But if you're looking for external inspiration all the time it doesn't last you know the best inspiration has got to come from within and i think yeah. it comes from within when you're connecting with what matters to you the most and as a landscape photographer it's going to be something out in nature it can't be on the screen it's just that's so temporary it's just going to be it'll burn off in 30 seconds you've got to get that connection going with what it is you love and what drives you yeah totally agree there's nothing worse i think than getting into that thought pattern of uh, I'll never I'll never be as good as so and so or you know yeah. comparing yourself to to somebody else. You know, those those comparisons, you know, I I've always sort of said they they don't they don't mean anything because mm. everyone is at a different stage in their photography journey. And you know, yeah. some people are, are, are you know faster learners, better at picking things up, you know, they may have an edge because they've got better skills in Photoshop or whatever than somebody else, you know? And yeah. Some people have more time. Some people, oh, they can it. go out every day of the week. There's so many variables and it's, you know, it's just, and, and unfortunately people compare. Matter. Yeah, exactly. And people compare, you know, you see school kids do it. They compare 
oh, I don't look as pretty as that person. And yeah. we got to remember at the end of the day, social media is a highlight reel. You're only seeing exactly the right. best of the best. No one's seeing the hardship that goes on behind the scenes. And yeah, when it comes to something like art, you know, photography, even music, it's like you should have something you look up to and aspire towards, but you got us, you're on your own individual journey. And we all start at that. We all start at the same point, which is at the bottom. And then from there you, you forge your own track and, I think, yeah, too much comparison, you start to, instead of forging your own track, you just start to walk around in circles and then yeah. you've just lost sight. So I always say to people, just remember why you picked the camera up. That's, that's, that's what right. this should still always be about. And that's why I said earlier about when it comes to doing it as a career, I say to people, you know, just if your motives are right, then things will come. But if the motives are, you know, kind of tainted with other ideas, then it, it could be walking up, uphill most of the time. So, and it's a delicate balance. It's easier said than done, you know, not comparing too much, but the best thing you can do is just unfollow or mute people, you know, like you just got to be honest and say, when I look at this stuff or whatever it is, um, how do I feel? How do I truly feel? Do I feel uplifted and inspired or is it just kind of making me feel like I'm, not good enough or I'm never going to be able to achieve certain things. And if it is, then just turn it off. You know, we have the power to do that. Um, and for me, yeah, a big part is just, and people probably think I'm a snob, but I just don't follow that many people online because I just, I'd rather just go to someone's website, have a look properly, take my time. It's full screen. That's where I want to view someone's work or in a book or something. But when it comes to social media, it's like, it's just not the right resolution. The display is wrong. There's so many factors there that are wrong. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's just a, it's a tricky one. It's good to connect with like-minded people and share your work, but it's a, it's a juggling act. You've got to be careful how much you consume. Anyway, I'm going on a rant about it. But no, 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 it's, no, it's just, good. It's a good yeah. rant. One, one that I wholeheartedly support too. <laughs> Even my wife, you know, she's not a photographer. But uh, she'll just delete Instagram or Facebook almost every week and just delete it for a week and then put it back on because, yeah, she just like, we just get sucked into looking at stuff that maybe you didn't even want to look at. And then yeah. now you're thinking thoughts that you, it's like, why am I thinking about this now? And yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy the way it all works. So I think, yeah, just taking control of what we do. And I know for me, every every few months i'll just delete apps off the phone and just won't just don't have them on there and to be honest i don't really miss them uh i have to force myself to get back on there um but i think it's healthy to kind of have that reset and just be present in the moment you, you notice that you're a bit more in tune with everything when you do that yeah. Uh, yeah. so yeah it's just everyone's different but just getting that right balance i think it's pretty healthy and it's key to keeping your inspiration at, at the highest it can be anyway absolutely if you weren't a photographer, what would you be? Oh, man, I don't know. You know, like when I was a tradesman, I was an air conditioning mechanic, so there was a lot of electrical work. And yep. and now I just don't like doing much hands-on stuff around the house. I'm happy to employ a someone else to come in and I'll do electrical stuff around the house. But when it comes to building things and painting, I'm just like, oh, I'll get someone else in, you know, like that's yep. their job. They do their thing. I'll do my thing and yeah, if I had to do something else as a career, I know, you know, with the pandemic and everything, I had a mindset of, you know, whatever it takes to put food on the table, I'll just do it. I've got to provide for my family. And um, I've got a mate who does a lot of different work here. He, he's a pilot part-time, but then he does a lot of work um, in the national parks here. They have a lot of traps which help trap uh, like predators that harm the native birds. So 
rats and stoats and possums and things. There's thousands of these traps. And one of his jobs is going out and bush bashing and creating these trap lines so then other guys can come in and lay the traps. And so he gets to go out in nature and spend a week at a time in these remote areas. Right. And he's out bush bashing. And so I'm like, man, I could actually see myself, you know, doing that. Like, that's pretty good just to be out yeah. in the elements. And he does a bit of work on farms. And I don't know, I'd be happy working with my hands and just doing kind of hands on things. But just I, I realize now being a full-time photographer that I am more of a creative person than more, you know, like a mechanical minded person. And yeah. looking back, I can see that now in my childhood, I was always drawing and um, just always sketching away in a pad. And then when I was a teenager, I was skateboarding, which is creative. And I was also videoing skateboarding and editing video clips of my mates. So there was always actually a bit of a creative outlet there. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really know the exact answer, but I think it would have to be something creative to some degree, but at the same time, yeah, I wouldn't mind being hands-on. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Going around in circles here, but yeah, it's a hard one to answer, to be honest. It's, it's tricky. I know my soul would be, I'd be crushed if I couldn't. Couldn't take, keep, take a photo again. Yeah. yeah. If I couldn't, and just, you know, I've got a lot of freedom with this, you know, to get some of the images, oh. it's you're kind of dropping everything sometimes because this moment's coming and you're like, I need to be out here to get this, the moon's rising now, you know, whatever it is, there's some, and uh, yeah, it sounds selfish to be honest, but that's, it's just part of sometimes to get the most elusive moments in nature, you got to be there. And yeah, so I do have a lot of freedom and yeah, it would crush me to lose. I'd do anything to provide for my family, but I love being able to just have those connections with nature. So it'd be pretty tough to lose that. And even look, to be honest, making video tutorials is not my cup of tea. I don't mind being out there talking to the camera and doing it, but I really don't like getting home with 30 gigabytes of video footage and you've got B-roll and then you've got to add music and then you've got to add captions. And it's like, man, I'd, I'd rather outsource that, but I'm just not really in a position to do it. So, yeah. you know, even at the moment, a good portion of my job is, uh, I couldn't say I love it per se, but I'm still grateful because it does allow me to still be creative and everything. So, um, yeah, anyway, that's enough on that rambling on. <laughs> no, that's fine. What, what do you like to do when you're not out shooting? I just love family time, to be honest. I love, you know, I'll go in. When the kids get home at three, I'll make sure that I am go in and have afternoon tea with them and just play toys or wrestle them. I take my son. My son likes fishing, so we'll go fishing. Um, just being outdoors is really fun. Just get, we went for a family hike the other week and the kids did 9Ks and we stayed in a hut overnight and then we did 9Ks back out and it was like, wow, how rewarding. Um, so, that, yeah, that's really fun to do and, I just love the simple stuff. That's what photography's done for me. Just stripped it all back. I'm not big on movies. I don't play video games or anything. It's just, I just want to be out looking at something nice. I'm at home. I'm always the instigator of, come on, let's go. We're going to go do this thing. Like that hike we did, we only decided that at midday. I was like, come on, we need to all get out. And because I could tell my wife kind of needed a bit of time out there too. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, come on, let's go. The kids will be right. We can do this. I'll pack the bags and we'll be right. We'll get to the hut before sunset and, and then off we went. So, um, yeah, I just enjoy nature, being outdoors. And I've actually done a little bit of hunting as well. There's a lot of deer here, which was, um, it's not yeah. native. And unfortunately, the deer decimates the forest yeah, because yeah. that's what they eat. Um, so there's a big pest control thing here with um, the Department of Conservation is trying to, there's like, they got to keep the number of deer at a certain level when it gets too high. 
Um, so yeah, I've got a lot of hunting's pretty big where I live and I went out hunting. Um, I haven't eaten meat in years, but, uh, you know, when it's something that's going to actually help the landscape from a conservation perspective, I was pretty open to it. And, um, so yeah, I've gone out hunting a couple of times and just going out and like trying to stalk an animal. And that's pretty cool. It's actually quite exciting. Even if you don't, yeah. obviously you don't have to shoot the animal or anything, but, um, so that's quite well, fun. So shoot just, them with your camera. <laughs> that's it mate yeah exactly you get some that's the goal actually i'd love to try and i try and incorporate the kia into my images the wild parrot here but to get a deer which is that's amazing how smart these animals are they can smell yeah. you from a mile away but um that's a goal to get like a, a deer in the grand landscape would be amazing so yeah anything outdoors and with the family i really don't do anything myself i like going to the gym i'll go to the gym each day i like to lift weights and stuff but um Otherwise, it's just, all right, let's go chill somewhere and throw some stones down the lake or something simple like that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. cool. So I guess uh, starting to, to, to wrap up, I've got a couple more questions for you. Are there any photographers out there that you think I should be talking to? Have a chat with uh, my cousin, Warren Keelan. He's a ocean photographer that lives in Wollongong where I used to live. He's got a gallery there and he's been a professional longer than I have and yeah, he, he's good. He's a good talk, and his images are amazing. Beautiful ocean images, and he's yeah, I've, um I've followed. Uh, you know, Warren. Yeah, Warren. so yeah, it's every I, I don't get to catch up with him much because when we do, it goes for like three hours, and it's like, oh, whoops, didn't plan for that to happen. But um, when we do catch up, it's just um, yeah, he's got a similar mindset to me, and it's cool. I like talking with people that have been in the industry that long. You know, like even myself, where you've just seen so many different trends and phases and yeah it's just always interesting just to kind of sit back and observe yeah. and so yeah warren's good to chat to um i know you spoke with jeff freestone recently yep. as well i know jeff he did a workshop with me years back and it's been good watching his photography blossom um yeah i don't know mate i'm not sure to be honest it's uh like i said i don't i don't have my ear to the ground too much with landscape photography i just don't need to look at it too closely um but yeah, look, all I know is the standard of photography now is just so high. When I see images from places that I used to photograph years ago, I'm like, wow, look how that guy shot this. And yeah, yeah. The, the level of knowledge and learning is, you know, really um Well, it's magnified. just so much more accessible too, isn't it? You know. More accessible and just the internet and people like me putting tutorials out, for example, it makes the learning so much easier. When I learned... There would have been YouTube around, but it didn't cross your mind to look something up on. Like I, I, yeah. I never did that. I, I learned I, old I school YouTube, just trial yeah, and error. Yeah. yeah, the the University of YouTube. Yeah, exactly. I just remember going out and just pushing buttons, and and then every now and then I'd run into somebody and they'd be like, "Oh, put it in AV mode, mate, and you'll be able to get a." And just random tips like that. That's kind of how I learned and then just applying it and getting it wrong and going, "Okay, how do I problem solve?" But yeah, now it's like. Or even like I said, you could do a workshop and within a few days, it's like that's what that's the look I get on people's faces where you can yeah. see they had 12 months of YouTube university going around in circles and then you show them hands on in a few hours and they're like, ah, oh, finally. And yeah, so the level of learning just seems to be a lot higher. It's been pretty cool just to see, um, yeah, the standard. Like I know you had Ben Ben Mays on. So I talked to Ben a little bit. Uh, you should get um, Dylan Fox. He's over in WA. Okay. I, I talked to Dylan a fair bit and he's got a pretty cool eye and just a, a nice collection of images. He, you know, he does a little bit of everything and I think he does it quite well. 
and he's been around for some time too, uh, you know, just on the side, just doing his thing. And, yeah, so Dylan Fox would be a good one to have a yarn with. But, uh, no, look, it's exciting. It's a good time to be a photographer. And when I do see the standard of work out there, particularly when it's something fresh, like from something I haven't really seen photographed before too much, it's like, wow, well done. Like that is just really unique and it's good to see. But, look, as I said earlier, I'm a, just an advocate for people being photographers in general just because of the way it can really just make you appreciate life and things so much more. So I don't care if someone goes and shoots the same thing 500 times over, like I did back in the day, I'd shoot the jetty and the Wollongong lighthouses all day, every day. And it's like, that's great. Gets you outside, get some fresh air and you get those creative juices going. So it is good to see that, but it is honestly, it's a bit overwhelming when I'll see a name that I've never even heard of. And then I see their portfolio and I'm like, oh, wow, like this is, this is world-class. A few years ago, this would have been the best images you could ever make. Um, it's so common to see that now. Uh, and like you said, it's just so accessible. Yeah. yeah. Um, even with travel before COVID, you know, it was so easy for people just to travel here, there and everywhere and go to all the places and get amazing photos. Um it's just the era that we, we've kind of been in. So it is nice, though, to see. One of the best eras to be uh, a photographer in, to be honest. Yeah, it is. And as I said, I think before we started recording, even when it comes to camera gear, it's like you almost can't go wrong now. It's everything no. really high end. And people always ask me about gear and I just say to them, look, every I brand like now pretty much has something that's going to be awesome. You can't yeah. really stuff it up. I, but I remember you know, years back, yeah, you could make a very really costly mistake years ago if you didn't get the right sensor or something yeah. that um now they just tick the boxes the technology's come so far so that's good so definitely a good time although i will say not a good time to order stuff online i've been waiting about four weeks for a lens to come. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of holdups with the uh shipping but yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right i've got one last question and for uh many photographers it's uh one, one of the most important issues that we can talk about do you like pineapple on pizza nah nah mate nah that's um <laughs> that's offensive to me <laughs> okay, fair enough my kids love it and my wife but no you know pineapple for me is that's that's like a dessert type that's a sweet fair i enough. don't like sweet with savory no keep it separate <laughs> i'll have to do the numbers uh one day and uh, and work out where we stand because yeah um, it's pro- i'd imagine it's probably 50 50 maybe yeah, I, don't I, don't, I don't know I, I'll, I'll have to have a look i haven't actually like, done them but uh, yeah it's like the pineapple on a burger it's like why it's just you know you go in one direction and then bang you it's just oh no nah, come on you got to commit one way or the other that's it can't have both <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, thanks very much uh, for taking the time to talk to me, William. It's been absolutely marvellous getting to know you a bit better and uh, learning more about how you do what you do. Where can people find your work? Uh, Mate, all the usual places. Thanks for having me on, by the way. And uh, yeah, just pop my name in Instagram or Google and you'll see me come up in any of your favourite uh, applications of choice <laughs> actually if i was going to plug anything i'll just say youtube i've been using youtube a little bit more the last year and yeah, i've been kind of enjoying it so um if anyone's interested in just seeing some like you know bite-sized tutorials and even some behind the scenes adventures and stuff yeah jump on youtube it's um kind of been refreshing just to get on a different platform and put some time into that so yeah but otherwise yeah i'll come up everywhere else that you search my name Excellent. I'll put uh, links in the show notes, of course. Cool.
Thanks so much uh, for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon. Mm -hmm.